still my soul. Hey everybody, this is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every Good morning. Today I got something special for you because some of you may need some ideas. If you're uh, in need of a gift this week and you're looking for something and you're trying to think of something unusual, something nobody else has, I have some ideas for you. The first is the Christmas pig. This is a collectible of collectibles, uh, dressed in the appropriate mistletoe garment. Uh, the pig can sit on your fireplace, sit in your home. It's a delight to bring out every year. So if you're looking for something, I present to you the Christmas pig. Maybe that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for something maybe that you and your family can use or you can use all year round. I have the Christmas birdhouse. It's painted and decorated with all the barnyard animals, and uh, it's really kind of nice. Uh, so if you're looking for something, here's a couple of gifts. Anyone? Anybody? You'll take them? Thank you, Matt. Because these are priceless gifts. There's a man who has an eye for value. These gifts were given to me and Cheryl by my grandmother, Mimi. In fact, on the bottom of the birdhouse, it says to Phil and Cheryl, from Mimi, Christmas, 1996. Now, I gotta confess to you, we don't exactly put the Christmas pig out and show it around to everybody. It, it doesn't exactly fit always with the decor of everything else that Cheryl has uh, around the house Christmas time. And the birdhouse uh, actually is in the garage. Uh, I don't want it being destroyed. It's kind of made of some soft balsa wood. But I'll never get rid of these gifts. Because the value in the gift is not necessarily in what you see here, the value in the gift is in the heart of one who gave it to you. And if you know my Mimi, who is with the Lord now, she was a woman who lived a life without what you would consider to be great means. But yet she lived her life in its simplicity and greatly in its value because she loved our Lord. And while she could not buy you extravagant things, she would take the time every year to make something for all of us. And our house is actually filled with many of Mimi's gifts that were given to us. You maybe have some gifts around your house that maybe in the eyes of somebody else would not seem to have great value, but to you they're priceless. And what makes them of great value to you isn't like in these gifts, the value specifically in the gift, but it's the value in the person who gave it. Last week, 
We looked at an example that comes to us from Scripture, something that the whole world notices and focuses upon this time of year, how wise men came to Jesus and gave extravagant gifts to our Lord. Well, this isn't the only time that in Scripture extravagant gifts were given to Jesus. When we look in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, each of the Gospel records reveal for us Gifts that were given to Jesus that in the eyes of men and even on the day that they were given were despised and frowned upon by others who were there the day that they were given. But in the eyes of Jesus, they were priceless. They were given. They were given by those who saw what nobody else could. Our Lord is more than just a Lord. We see Jesus as a king. And one of the things that you find when you go back and you study the New Testament and you look at the lives of disciples, even as Lee pointed out, even those in Ephesus got this, that Jesus was a king like no other. They believed he was the Messiah. They believed he was the one appointed to God. Even though his kingdom was thoroughly unique and the world had never seen a kingdom like it before, they saw the value in the kingdom. And there were some who saw that value before others. Namely, two women who would come and anoint our Lord with oil or perfume. Anointings. When you think of the concept of anointing, you think of the idea of one who is to be a king. And here's what you find. You find that Jesus was seen as a king. I want to reiterate something that I think is very important for all of us to grasp, is that the word Christ was not Jesus' last name. The idea of Christ simply refers to the one who is anointed. And the anointing is always going to be for a king. In the Hebrew, the word would be Messiah. So when you think of Christ, think of it as our Lord's title, who he is, a king and a deliverer. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're literally saying Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the anointed one, or we could look at it in this way today. He is King Jesus to us. He is the one who reigns over my heart and my soul. And when somebody sees that and understands that, it changes them. What's interesting about the idea of our Lord's anointing is that he was actually anointed many times in his ministry. His anointing will actually begin as a king at his baptism. And if you think back to when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, it says that the Holy Spirit came down and, and, and it set upon him as is the image of a dove. In other words, he was anointed at that moment and even God himself got involved because he will say, this is my son. My beloved son. So if you will, and if you're looking for the true ordination of Jesus as king, that was it. And scripture will even refer to that later in Acts chapter 10 and in verse 38, as you find in the sermon that was shared by Peter and the other apostles, specifically in Acts 10, as they spoke to the Gentiles and those that were around in the day of Cornelius, it says, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit in power and how Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. 
when Jesus preached his first gospel sermon. What did he say? He quotes directly from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's appointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight of the blind and to set liberty those who are oppressed. He was anointed at his baptism as king. But then there's two other anointings. They're by women who come to Jesus. The first is found in Luke 7 and in verses 36 to 50. And if you have your Bible, I want you to take the heavenly library, go to the book of Luke, and I want you to just put a marker here. All right? Luke 7 verse 36, we read of the story of a woman who will actually barge in on a party that she technically wasn't invited to, but she had to get to Jesus. And she wasn't coming to Jesus because she had an ailment of the flesh. She wasn't like many who would barge in on Jesus because they were lame or they were hurting or somebody that they loved was hurting and needed a physical healing. No, she came for something much more important. She came because her soul was broken. And when she comes into the house, which was actually the house of a prominent Pharisee by the name of Simon, she proceeds to go straight to Jesus and she falls down at his feet and she begins to cry. And she washes his feet, anointing his feet with her tears. And then she does what is a social faux pas that day as a woman in public, she takes down her hair and she dries them with her tears. That's a lot of tears. She's a sinful woman, as everybody there knows and understands. But Jesus allows her to anoint him. We'll come back to that story in a moment. And then there's another anointing. It happens at the end of his ministry. It's in John chapter 12. And this time, we're going to find that it is a, another woman. This time, this woman, instead of coming with an alabaster flask, she's going to come with strong perfume. And she's going to come and she's going to bathe our Lord in this perfume. And she's going to cover him. It's an elaborate gift. And at that moment, even many of the disciples, not just Judas, as John records, but as the other gospel writers will share us, even some of the other disciples are like, whoa, what are you doing? Why are you pouring this out on the floor? Why are you pouring it over our Lord? Why not sell it? Why not give it? It could be used for something better. But it's an anointing. Three times. You find specific anointings with specific purposes in Scripture. The ordination of a king, the ordination of one who forgives sins, and then thirdly, the ordination of one who is going to die. Because in John 12, that's exactly what Mary was doing. As Jesus was pointing out, she is preparing me for my death. I want you to consider, if you will, these extravagant gifts. An alabaster flask of oil probably doesn't have great value to us. Chances are we don't have something like that around our house. But it was something that would often be used to wash. 
It would be the role of a servant. It would be an instrument that was used to show care or adoration. And in this particular instance, it was used to show the heart of somebody who was putting on a powerful display of humility and love and devotion and submission as well as repentance. For when that sinful woman came to our Lord, she came broken. She came longing. And if you really want to look at it, she didn't just come as one who was giving a gift. She came as one who was longing for a gift. It could not be measured in any monetarily way. She came as one who recognized she was a sinner. And she came to the only one she knew who could take away that guilt and that shame. And so she came with all she had. She came with all she had. The next extravagant gift, as we see in John 12, and as the Scripture will point out to us, was expensive ointment or perfume. The Scripture will even tell us its monetary value. 300 denarii. You can see everybody sitting there measuring out. They know, oh, wait, that's how much that container weighs. Here's how much it is. That's worth at least 300 denarii. And to kind of put that in terms of, of a way that maybe we could understand it better, a denarii would be a day's wage given to the common laborer. So you're actually looking at a year's worth of salary now. A year's worth of salary that's just being poured out over somebody and it goes down to the floor. As one commentator said, it's a, it's a gift fit for a king. Isn't it interesting? When we think about Jesus as the king of kings, the Messiah, that only a couple of times in his life, he actually received gifts fitting for a king. At his birth, and then now from these women. The rest of his life would be pretty much filled with poverty. Even he would say the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He had nothing to his possession when he died. But these gifts were given by those who understood who he was when everybody else didn't. And so because everybody else did not understand, these gifts involved criticism. Criticism. You've probably caught yourself on certain occasions seeing a gift that's given, you go, oh, why'd they give them that? Oh, what were they thinking? They don't need that. That has no value. I want you to notice when you look at the text in Luke that what Luke wants us to see is that this woman is greatly criticized. 
And it's criticism that comes from those who should know better. It comes from the idea of one who is a religious man. And his criticism isn't just for the woman. Oh, he has no place for her. She just stormed in. He doesn't even want to address her. That's how he felt about her. His criticism is now reserved for the one who received her gift. And he receives, he shares his criticism to Jesus. Jesus knew what kind of woman this was. He wouldn't even allow her to touch him. What a waste. And now look at what she's doing. And then you go to this example. The example that you see here of Mary in John 12, a story that I think is repeated in other gospels. And the waste here is from the ointment. You know, the critics actually make a good point. It could have been given in, to the poor. That's a good point. You, you, you wouldn't exactly call this a good financial use of your means if you're looking. Dave Ramsey probably wouldn't approve. It's not how you spend your money. But Jesus acknowledges that. And he says something that may be a little confusing to us. He answers it with this. The poor you will always have with you. In other words, if you're really interested in looking for the opportunities to serve poor, you're always going to have poor around you. But I also think he's making another point. If you're really interested in serving the poor, you will find a way to serve the poor, if that's really your concern. Not just you have the poor, but you'll have the means to serve the poor if that's what you're looking for. But with both of them, he acknowledges it was a good thing. This was a good thing to do. And while the world may condemn these women for their extravagant gifts, Jesus wants them to be an example to us. So let's consider the lessons real quick in the gifts. The first is this, when you go back to Luke 7. The lesson is actually pretty powerful. Jesus will say this, turning to Simon, and then turning toward the woman, he says to Simon, this is kind of a neat way of doing it, notice the way Luke says it. And as he turns toward the woman, he says to Simon, It'd be like, I'm going to speak to Ray over here, but I'm going to look at Chris, even though I'm speaking to Ray. He looks to the woman. And he says, do you see this woman? I see her. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears. She's wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time that I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, remember who he's looking at. Remember who he's looking at, the woman. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. 
and just to make sure she gets it. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You see, the lesson in the first gift was about coming to the Lord for forgiveness. Anybody got a price tag you want to put on that? Anybody got a monetary value or a size of the gift that would be appropriate for that? Now go to Mary, if you would, and go to John 12, because here again, Jesus is going to tell us, here's the lesson. Here's what I want you to remember. Here's the point. And what you find here is, first of all, beware of half-hearted devotion as he's speaking to Simon. But here he says, beware of insincerity, because there's a distinction made between the Simon and the woman. And in this text, John's going to make it clear there's a clear distinction made between Judas and Mary. For as we read in John chapter 12 and in verses 5 through 6, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And what it says of Judas, he had said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself and what was put into it. Other gospel writers speak of this. <laughs> John says, since I'm writing the last gospel, I want you to know exactly who it was. In fact, what John will do is he's going to give us lots of names in his narrative. Judas, Mary, even Martha, we're going to see in a moment. But it's beware of insincere acts of devotion. Beware. But ultimately, what each of these teach us is be mindful of the Lord's desire. And so what you find in both of the stories, and this is what is so powerful. So the woman who came anointing our Lord with her tears, Jesus being mindful of her, didn't just give her forgiveness. He gave her salvation. Your faith has made you well, uh, you'll actually find that a few times in the Gospel of Luke. It's actually said, remember the Samaritan leper? Remember the 10 lepers who were healed and only one came back to praise the Lord? That exact same phrase was reserved for that man as well. Nine other guys may have got a healing, but this guy got the salvation. Your faith has made you well. And then to Mary. Then to Mary, he says this when you... Listen to it from Mark's rendition. She's anointed my body for burial. And when the gospel is shared to the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And guess what? We just remembered her. Mary. Can I ask you a question? Extravagant gifts. Extravagant. In fact, they're the kind of gift that you can't even leave sitting on a mantle somewhere. It's gone. It's poured out. It's gone. Extravagant gifts. They didn't just cost a little bit of time, but they cost a lot. A lot of emotion. A lot of feeling. A lot of money. Do you think either one of those women later, maybe a day later, maybe a week later, maybe a year later went, you know what? I, 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 sh I shouldn't have given all of that. 
You ever think they had buyer's remorse? You ever think they had a feeling inside them that went, oh, man, if I could just have some of that back right now. Or, oh, I just, you know, I probably could have found another way to do that. Do you, do you, no, I don't, do you? Not at all. Because to them, to them the gift was much deeper than really what you might consider to be the gift itself. I want to get to now the crux of the matter, to what I really want to talk about this morning. And I really want us to just think about the gift givers, all right? Think about the gift giver. When you go to John chapter 12, I want to give you just a little bit of my theory on this, all right? So this may come from First Phil chapter 1, which again, I've told you many times, First Phil is actually a great book if you ever want to read more of it. But I believe, I believe Mary sees what nobody else has been able to see. Jesus has been saying over and over and over again, I'm going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. Over and over again, he's been speaking of one who is coming as a sacrifice to die. And I don't think any Anybody else got it but Mary. If you remember something about Mary, Mary has a trait about her that really set her apart from many of the other disciples. She was a good what? Good listener. Even when everybody else would have been busy, she was listening. And, and in what she had just heard, not far in the distant past, maybe a day or two, is she had heard Jesus say at the tomb of her brother, I am the resurrection and the life. And something tells me the wheels were turning within her mind. And although it would have been inappropriate for a woman to stand up in front of a bunch of a company of men and say, listen, you idiots, y'all are not seeing this. She came to show the lesson. I know what's going down here. I've caught on with what's happening. And so she comes to Jesus with a gift. And think about it. What do you give someone who you know is going to die? What do you give somebody if you know that they're death? It's for the Lord. And what do you give somebody when you realize their death is for you? I kind of see Mary running back to her house when she gets it. It's registered with her. Everybody else has come for the banquet. Everybody else has come for the celebration. And it was a celebration. But she came with a different purpose. One commentator put it like this, what you see in each of these women is that they came to appreciate the worth of Christ more than anyone else at the table. And literally, here's what Jesus says of Mary when you go back to this and you look at it in John chapter 12. She came and gave what she could. Literally, it would read like this. What she had, she did. 
What she had, she did. She took full of opportunity and full advantage of the opportunity to serve her Savior. And she did according to all that she could muster within her own capability and ability. And she did what she did out of her own insight and devotion. You ever thought about it? that almost everything that we do in our life is going to come down to we do it out of what we truly believe. What we really think. And what we actually do, whether we do it consciously or subconsciously, we act out our true beliefs. If somebody believes that Jesus, Jesus is the foundation of all their security, all their significance, all of the abundance of their life. If somebody truly believes he is the king, he is the author of salvation, he is the forgiver of their sins, he is the one who gives them life, he is the one who gives them the resurrection. If somebody truly, truly believes that with all their heart, will they not be seen in the way that they live their life and what they give? But if somebody on the other hand believes in Jesus, but at the same time, same time, maybe on the other hand, is always consciously aware of providing for themselves or the circumstance will bring their happiness or when it comes to the idea of money or position or praise or power or success, they believe and they depend on these things to bring them happiness in life. Doesn't it always show in the way that they serve and give? Won't it also become evident? You see, the value of the gift and what makes the gift extravagant ultimately boils down to the heart of the one who is giving it. And in the eyes of others around them, <laughs> it may seem too much. But to them, it's all they got. And if they could give even more, they would. You might be thinking, well, what, what can I possibly give the Lord today? If Jesus came in here today, would I race to try to find some perfume? Would that work? Would I try to find something to give? Well, what would I give the Lord today? I was actually reading a news article this past week. I had never heard this but it's all over the news if you want to search it. There is a guy in the Philippines who every year at the Passover allows himself to be crucified, and he's done it for 33 years. 33 years, they literally drive nails through his feet and through his hands, and they raise him up on a cross for five minutes. And then, Lord, he's been doing it 33 years. Is that what the Lord's asking me to do? Is that what he means by when he says, take up your cross and follow me? Can I, can I share with you? I don't think that's it. I don't think the Lord is asking us to do what he did for us. I think that's not the extravagant gift he is looking for. But can I give you three possible options? Or maybe you can think of others. Maybe 
Maybe it is about money to you. Maybe money is a vice. Maybe you think to yourself, I, I want to give to the Lord, but it's kind of like, well, it's kind of like the idea, I'm going to hold on to it as long as I can, and when my will, I'll give a lot to the Lord then when I die, and I've made sure I've got enough for myself. Or I may, if it, Maybe money is, maybe, maybe money needs to be our extravagant gift. Just a thought. It's very easy for us at times to give what is easy or convenient Remember the words of David? How can I give to the Lord that which costs me nothing? Maybe that's possibly for us. Maybe it's time. Maybe money or possessions are not something that we have that we could give in abundance, but maybe it's giving of our time. Maybe it's the idea that we look at our life and we look maybe at the job that we're currently stuck in or laboring in and we realize it's not fulfilling and it's simply taking up too much of my time and it's hurting my devotion to the Lord or my devotion to the family. Maybe it's my alabaster or a flask that I need to break and maybe I need to downsize so I can give more time to the Lord's kingdom. And maybe in the eyes of the world, that'd be crazy. You mean you gave up that job just so you could have more time? Maybe that's, maybe that's your gift. Well, can I show you something in John 12? I mentioned this to you earlier. It, would you go back to John 12, verse 2? Where, what's Martha doing? She's serving. And I want you to notice the Lord does not condemn her at all for that. I think sometimes we're a little too hard on Martha. But maybe like her sister Mary, she was doing all she could. Maybe that's your alabaster. Maybe, maybe. Maybe it's time to give the Lord more devotion with your time. Or maybe it's this. This is a big one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 18, we're reminded that Christ has given us a ministry, but not just any ministry. It said, God has reconciled, reconciled us through Christ. This is 2 Corinthians 5.18. God has reconciled us through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's our ministry. And so what we can see and understand in that, it may be our gift is reconciling others to the Lord and bringing them back to the Lord, but can I encourage you to take it even a step further? Maybe, maybe your gift needs to be that you need to reconcile with someone else. Someone who has hurt you. Someone who has wronged you. Maybe it's time for a little humility and a little gift giving that you give to the Lord by giving to somebody else the peace of reconciliation. If you'll look over to Ephesians chapter 4, this is the power of that gift. In Ephesians chapter 4, you'll notice that Paul says it like this. He says, let all bitterness and wrath, this is verse 31 of Ephesians 4, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. 
You want to give a great gift? An elaborate gift? Give forgiveness. Be the instrument of peace. And therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. And notice this in verse 2, and has given Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You know, in both of those examples, when that perfume or that nard was broken, that filled the house. It was probably too much in a little place. But it smelled great to the Lord. You want to give an ointment to the Lord? Give forgiveness to others. And here's what I want you to grasp as we wrap this up. Extravagant gifts do not go unnoticed by Jesus. Others may not understand. It may seem odd to them. But Jesus sees it. And so can I give you just some quick take-homes to wrap this up? A reason to give and give like nobody else does? Because he's my king. He's my Messiah. Jesus is my Christ. He's my sacrifice. I look at him like nobody else could truly see him, but I see what others cannot. He is my sacrifice, and he has given all of himself for me. How can I not give even just this gift to him? And ultimately, he's my life. You know, the story of Mary to me is so powerful. Just like that sinful woman came to Jesus longing for forgiveness, Mary came longing for life. And I think she saw what others couldn't. He is my resurrection. He is my life. 300 denarii, that has no value in eternity. Why wouldn't I give it to Jesus? I got the pig here, if anybody wants one. Wrapping this up. Birdhouse. I'll never get rid of these. Never. Because I know the one who gave them. I love my me. And what I know with each and every one of these gifts, she took a lot of time making it for me. When you think of your Lord Jesus, may we look upon him with the affection we sometimes give others, but may we multiply it a thousandfold. Because if you really want to talk about extravagant gifts, there's no gift more extravagant 
than for God himself to come down and take on flesh and to give himself for us. Paul will even say to the world, it's foolishness. <laughs> That's crazy. The cross. But to those like these women who see the value, it's everything. So what would you give the one who gives himself for you? This morning, if you need to give him your heart, if you need to come to him, and to offer yourself to Him, you have that opportunity to have your sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Or maybe you've taken advantage of that gift and you just need to come back. We're here to help you. Whatever we can do to help you come back to your Lord, we want to help you do that this morning. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing? The Lord is in His holy Again, thanks for listening. If you live in North Central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, glenspringschurch.com. You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time, God bless. Keep silence before